Now on Racing Pulse, RSN's racing editor, Matt Stewart. Interesting approach from Mooney Valley too. The idea of using this race as a bit of a bargaining chip. It's sort of, I'm not sure everyone would feel good about that, that, that that's the role that the Cox Plate should have. For more news, opinion and selections, head to rsn.net.au. It is that time of the morning where we have all of the news with RSN's racing editor, Matty Stewart, who is once again front and centre at the Asian Racing Conference. And Matty, a fair bit of news coming out of the discussion points on day one. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Michael. Uh, yeah, look, obviously the themes have been collaboration and uniformity and uh, the, the sorts of challenges that exist with every racing jurisdiction around the world. Uh, they've touched on things such as the whip and so on, but I think the ones that have resonated most have been uh, the world pool and talk about whether you had the um, uh, Tabcorp representative yesterday talking about how they'd love to see uh, a world pool exist on a much bigger scale on a regular basis in Australia, and that gives... Punter's greater certainty and surety, of course. Uh, I think the one that really um, uh, probably struck the greatest amount of conversation was comments from Andrew Jones. Uh, it was only a brief part of his overall monologue, but it was the one that people went, oh, OK, what does this mean? Uh, and it was to do with dress codes at the races. And uh, uh, So part of what he said, to quote yesterday... Um, from Andrew Jones, and it's not the first time he's mentioned no. this before. Well, the very uh, first day he was here, he uh, wandered into the mounting out of Flemington without a tie on and, and, that's right. and got green-coated. So he said, why do we need a dress code? Why don't we let people wear what they want to wear? They will figure it out. No one rings up a restaurant and asks what the, uh, what the dress code is. They just wear what they want. We need to look at things like dress codes and admission prices. Now, I think the, the last two words, admission prices, are much more relevant than dress codes, but um, we've had a Twitter poll this morning on it. Um, have we got the latest numbers there? Oh, I can't even read that. 47.6 say, um, should Racing Victoria dump its dress code? Uh, is that a no or a yes? That's a no. And 52 say, 52% say they should dump their dress code. So... Um, I think Andrew Jones, we've got a grab from him this morning with the Brecky boys. This is what he had to say. I think there's a big difference between guidelines and, and enforceable codes. You know, there's a big difference between saying, look, I suggest you wear something like this at my party. Uh, you know, so yep. it's a fancy dress. The theme is 1970, so, you know, turn up in a looking like John Travolta and denying people entry because of what they do or don't wear. And I think denying people entry based on what they do or don't wear is a really um, discomforting experience for customers and um, and puts a lot of people off. And if people don't happen to own clothes of the uh, type that uh, are required, then, um, you know, they're not, they're not going to come to racing, are they? They're going to see that as a, a barrier to it, uh, attending and they're going to feel uncomfortable. I don't know it's that big a deal. Uh, you don't have to wear a suit and tie to go into general admission on race courses. And the people that are required to wear suit and ties are members, and they know the rules and regulations when they actually purchase a membership. So I, I get a lot of friends who, and I know my wife in particular and, and other friends of hers, they actually like to dress up for big, special occasions. Now, I can understand, I think MRC do it perfectly over the summer period because it's relaxed racing, but I don't necessarily think saying, hey, boys, take your ties off is going to 
cause the floodgates to open and people stampeding back to the races? Well, most members' areas have dropped their dress code standard from the rigid, you know, uh, you know, chinos, sports jacket, um, shirt. That's that's pretty good in most members these days. And um, I told you about the the Southland suit salesman that I I got my son's uh, 16 year formal uh, suit at recently. He said, "Mate, suits are out. It's chinos and jackets anyway." And I think basically what Andrew Jones is referring to is is the members at Flemington. I don't see, you know, 90% of racegoers do not have to dress up. They can wear a tutu and a pair of thongs <laughs> and, a, and a, a chicken suit if they want. Which you've decided to wear today yeah. as well. Uh, so, I, I, to be honest, it's, it's not a... It's not going to affect... I mean, you know, there are real issues, and dress code isn't one of them. Real issues are cost. Yes. The reason why now, people are going to the, not going to the races, there are, there's a myriad. There's the modern, there's things we can't prevent. Technology, uh, you know, the basic affordability of staying at home. But I'd love to see them tackle the real issues eventually. Uh, the, the, the cost of going to the races and being at the races, that's the greatest deterrent, not... Every now and then, as you say, I mean, the girls like to get dressed up. The boys every now and then like to put on a sports jacket and look nice. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. It's only for members. And I'm not sure what the split from membership to GA generally across the board, across all the racetracks in Australia are. But I don't know a country racetrack anywhere in Victoria where you have to dress up to go into the members or the public. Yep. So what's I'd Andrew Jones talking about? SMS is coming through. If you can pay $550 membership plus $720 joining fee, you can probably afford to own a few suits. Suit and tie the members at all times. Stress standards in the members have gone downhill dramatically. Um, Magpie Jack from Ballarat uh, is wishing uh, Dino all his best, as we all are, Magpie. Um, is Matt looking dashing in his Akubra? Or, or, or is accreditation. He... <laughs> um, dressing up. Uh, and being around dressed-up people appeal for many going to the races. Putting a suit on outside of when it's 35 degrees is not a hard task for a grown adult. Racing should continue to set an example for the standards, not simply follow the degradation of them. What's the big deal about the dress code? doesn't affect general admission, attendees. It's relaxed for members on hot days. It's a non-issue. Rod from Strathmore. A uh, lot of uh, SMSs coming through here. Um, Oh, sure, I, well, I think, they, I think they sum up the, the, the basic uh, response. And, yeah, look, I just... Uh... Well, a lot of them are saying 100% uh, cost is the main issue. And we'll talk about it when we get Neil Wilson. We'll talk about it when we get Matt Welsh on a little later as well. Because if Andrew Jones is bringing that up on uh, the public stage, the public forum, and there are other administrators that are agreeing that the cost point needs to be worked upon. We've been talking about this for God knows how many years, but... It's never become a reality. So what needs to happen? Is it that the clubs need to subsidise? Is it Racing Victoria needs to subsidise the clubs who say, look, we can't afford. We, we are employing a third party, whether it's Spotless or some other catering company, to come in here and provide the catering, which means we have to pay them. And they then set the food and beverage prices. How do we lower that? How do we make it affordable so that, you know, you sitting at home, We'll go, you know what, I'm going to go to the races today and I'm not going to have to pay 10 bucks for a beer, $10 for a sandwich. I can actually go there and be enticed to come. Well, that's right. And it's, it's only one of, the, one of the issues is cost. I mean, it's, it's a, a, accessibility and, and comfort and all those other things you say. Uh, and I think um, that um, Rosa Victoria, if, if there's a solution to this, 
uh, or a, a circuit breaker to this or something that would assist, I think it is that uh, uh, Racing Victoria should compensate the clubs for whatever the gap is between uh, the... Or, or, or some sort of wagering revenue factor should compensate the clubs who obviously are running it on a, on a very fine line for the gap between an expensive beer and an affordable beer, yep. an expensive uh, meal and an affordable meal. They should compensate the gap for the greater good. That's the way I feel. Now, I don't disagree. So we'll, we'll find out exactly because uh, Neil Wilson will be able to tell us what that um, equation is mm. um, because a lot of the clubs will say, well, we can't afford to have the prices drop because we can't absorb any loss yeah, I in think, revenue. I think if the, if, the, the, if the overall overarching body with all the money um, for the greater good uh, can, can offer some level of compensation, then I think that's the only way I can think that prices can come down. Uh, there's other SMSs saying, uh, with raising interest rates and inflation, I can't afford to do anything uh, these days. Uh, uh, so it is racing's big issue. Now, I know that was spoken about yesterday. There were a number, and uh, uh, including the chairman of the Hong Kong Jockey Club, who said that racing needs to um, open up its mind to try and attract younger people, think outside the square. Uh, he was also very strong on the animal welfare Situation. He said there is no animal welfare challenge in racing. It's a perception issue. He said we need to do more to tell the story to those outside of the racing bubble about how well the horses are looked after. And we need to do more with rehoming of the horses. He said just buying a stud farm or a parcel of land and saying that's where horse races, uh, race horses are going to live is not enough. There needs to be greater pathways and more emphasis needs to be placed on that. Yeah, well, I mean, different people have different perceptions of what animal welfare actually means. Some people are offended at the very nature of training them to race and gambling on them. That's that's an issue in itself for some sections of the community. So everyone has a different definition of, in inverted commas, what animal welfare actually means. But all racing can do is its best to appease and to uh, make life as comfortable as they can for for the equine competitors. And, and one of the great problems with that is that we don't have a national let alone an international approach to welfare so uh, you know uh, Thoroughbred Breeders Australia came out with a document, assisted in a document about a year ago that they were hoping would get some sort of national traction and the inability for Racing Australia to sit uh, has meant that important welfare issues are not, uh, are not sorted out so we do have a welfare issue because we can't get welfare coordinated on a national level. So we do have a welfare We've issue. We've got a Racing Australia issue. Once again, we spoke to Paul Erickson, the CEO of Racing Australia. We um, asked him to come on. He's, he's politely declined, said it's not um, appropriate with the current um, disharmony at board level for the CEO to come on and thought, make any public comments. I would have thought that when there's a lot of drama and uncertainty about the body that he is the chief executive officer of, there's never a more important time for him to come on and offer as much clarity and uh, comfort as he possibly can. Now is not the time to not be saying something, is what I would say. Martin Pakula was interesting when we had the former racing minister on yesterday speaking about the projected or mooted changes for the spring carnival. This is what he said is my personal opinion as to the discussion about moving the Cox Plate. Personally, I probably draw a line at the big pillars of the carnival. Caulfield Cup, Melbourne Cup, Cox Plate. I think you would only change the order of those races with the absolute best reasons, for the absolute best reasons. I think once you start making those really massive shifts, 
Um, the risk you run is is quite considerable. It impacts on the autumn. It impacts on the preparation of horses. It impacts on the traditions and the way that every you know the, the three individual club carnivals have their place in the sun plus country racing. So I'd be reluctant to move the Cox Plate to the other side of the Flemington Carnival. Well. It's interesting that that ended with the other side of the Flemington Carnival, which suggests that if you do that, it might present a gap at the start of the Flemington Carnival, which is traditionally when AFL transitions to footy. We had a good chat to Eddie Maguire yesterday, who was one of the keynote speakers about innovation in racing, and he had some interesting observations about uh, the factors that were deterrents to people going to the races and the selling points that should be introduced and so on. One thing that we did focus on, and, and this sort of parlays off a conversation I had with Gil McLaughlin a few months ago about footy's relationship with racing and Gil McLaughlin was of the view that racing should not feel that it needs to separate itself as far as it possibly can from the AFL and we did ask Eddie about what would what would the scenario potentially be like for the AFL with its potential opportunities if racing started getting out of the start of spring and loading up at the end of spring and this is what Eddie McGuire said about it. I would have walked straight into the AFL as a president of Collingwood and said, extend the season by four weeks, we'll take over October. Yeah, there you go. So it's not just racing between, you know, what they're doing up in Sydney. It's every other sport you get a free hit at. And, you know, we've got roofs on cricket grounds now and things like that. And I'd, I, if I was, if they, were, if they do move it, I'd be going right because the world's changed. Our weather in Melbourne's gone back a month, as, as we all know. If you get out of September and put the grand final into uh, the third week in October or something and had an extra three weeks, of, that's worth a couple of hundred million of the AFL. Well, that... So he, he went on to say, sort of beware the unforeseen enemy. If you think the enemy, in inverted commas, well, maybe not, is New South Wales uh, and you're trying to protect your patch, don't leave a gap for an even bigger threat as far in, the, in, in, in the AFL where it might spread its tentacles further into what has been your territory for 150 years. So, interesting take there from Eddie Maguire. I so, hope, yeah. the grass isn't always greener. No, no, that's right. And I, and I think that's where the last couple of weeks the conversation and the thought has, has switched back to that. Yep. And we're yet to get the official announcement from Racing Victoria, but... Uh, every man and his dog seems to now be of the opinion that the Cox Plate's not going to move. There may be peripheral changes to the Spring Carnival. Some other races may move, and there may well be a movement of those standalone country meetings after Melbourne uh, Cup Week. But the pillar, a great race, one of the main races, like a Cox Plate, won't move. No, that's exactly right. You mentioned that we spoke uh, off the record, well, offline, off air. to off-air to Paul Erickson. And uh, uh, obviously, Paul Erickson was the former CEO of Taz Racing. He's now, in big inverted commas, the CEO of Racing Australia. Um, the uh, so, A board member of Racing Australia up until yesterday was Robin Wishaw, who is one of the most respected figures in Australian racing and breeding. She's the uh, p- a major part of the family that has run uh, Armadale Stud in Tasmania, th- I think since the 1960s. She's a pillar of the, the racing and breeding industry and out of utter dismay uh, she relinquished her role, her seat at the Ra- Racing Australia board as the Tassie representative yesterday. Um, much was said, and this is a part of what she told us about her motivation to, to, to leave Racing Australia. There's some people on the board that I'm sure are there for the right reasons, but I feel there's some long-held grudges between individual states that people won't let go of, certainly compromise 
isn't a word that comes to mind with any dealings on the board. And um, states are living fear of being served legal writs from other states. And that's not a healthy environment to be in. <laughs> Ring a bell. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> well, I don't mean to laugh, but um, illegal letters have been flying around everywhere. So, um, Robin Wishaw, uh, well, that was... And she's a very measured person. I kind of I know her vaguely through um, uh, communications over the years and so on, and that would have really hurt her, to uh, Robin Wishaw, to make that decision. And Because uh, uh, she's, uh, she's a progressive sort of person. She wants to achieve things. She wants racing to be in its best possible position. And what she almost didn't allude to, what she virtually said, was that there is a major, major problem with major personalities and, uh, and motivations. And hopefully this week, I don't know what's happening behind that big yellow door over there, um, minute by minute, but we hope that um, perhaps this week some of these with, uh, you know, big thinking people and influential people all here that this impossible situation can find some sort of uh, a pathway out with because uh, it affects everything it's 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 so damaging for australian racing and it needs to come to a head and i think robin wishaw may be the one who lit the fuse for for this to become a much more public issue well court case started yesterday yes um so we'll, we'll have to wait so um we've got to talked it through as much as we can it's now up to see what transpires and maybe this will be um the, the straw that breaks the camel's back to have monumental change because at the moment there is nothing um sms's are flying through at the moment when it comes to cost over 12 dollars for a spirit can at the races is absolutely a no to attending um we uh, can sit at home and watch it's much cheaper um, is it a concern if Eddie Maguire and Gill are making more sense than our racing CEOs? Um, can we get Martin Bakula uh, in to help Racing Victoria? Um, changing dress code to the guideline might mean new generation might be inclined. It doesn't preclude people getting dressed up. Uh, if you want to work a suit, uh, wear a suit to go to work or out socially, you can do it. That's from uh, Andrew in Croydon. Uh, other SMSs which are coming through now. So I think the sentiment on that issue is what we were saying at the at the start. If you want to get dressed up, you can get dressed up, but you don't have to to attend the races. And don't invent issues that aren't issues. Tackle the real issues. That's what I would suggest. Hey, um, the All Age Stakes um, has. Ju- <laughs> I'm loath to even mention Sydney price money increases because I haven't. It's now jumped from 600 to 1.5 million. It's on. Uh, April 15, there you go, I mentioned it. They should be happy. Um, interesting comments on Racing yesterday from Bruce McAvaney about Everest v Caulfield Cup. I think, I don't know why necessarily, I think it's got a bit to do with international dropaways and so on, but the last few editions of the Caulfield Cup have been down. Uh, it doesn't seem to have that big pillar um, vibe that it's had for 100 years, and Bruce McAvaney made the observation that the Caulfield Cup's not even the biggest day on its day, that he feels that the Everest has gained a lot more traction and, and resonates more, and we've seen all the scenes up there with the sing-alongs and the crowds and so on. So interesting comments from Bruce McAvaney about the Caulfield Cup, and I don't know what the MRC and Victorian Racing, whether it's an ebb and flow, whether it's, it's, it'll rise again and we get one or two internationals like the Dunedins and the Americans and uh, the Japanese. So, so you think it's because they haven't been international runners that you think that maybe um, it, it, it's lost a bit of its luster from that perception? I, I because don't forget the Melbourne Cup winner came through the race. Yeah. Gold Trip ran second last year. Yep. Um, I th- and the, the year before, 
you've got very good form lines coming through. Very elegant um, three years ago as yeah, well. Yeah, but you're so, talking about individual horses, not depth of race. And I think the issue is that... Is uh, that a more broader topic about the yes, depth of I think horses in of, that category? There's an element of that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. And I don't don't underestimate what the media um, spin is. No, because no, Because pretty... in New South Wales, there is no coverage of yep. Caulfield Cup yep. Day. Yep. There is a blanket yep. coverage of the Everest. Now, that comes down to the amount of money that is paid to... Um, News Limited, and you saw the yep. um, the angle that was taken yep. on the front page in regards to the legal well, action. Well, when your local paper doesn't even give you, online gives you more Everest coverage than Caulfield Cup, you know you're in a bit of strife. Exactly so. right. Just a All couple right. of quick ones. Um, we assumed it was the case, but uh, Michael Walker officially announced yesterday that he has retired from race riding due to um, the brain injury that he sustained. So... Um, I think the good news is that Michael is not going to be lost to racing. Um, there is a want to hopefully get him back into the media once he can cope with that. And uh, we know that he's got training aspirations with Cindy Alderson helping out there as well. Uh, well, we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> uh, Matty, uh, why don't you hang around? Because we've got a very dapper Neil Wilson about to join us. <laughs> and uh, also well, <laughs> <laughs> Matt Welsh we'll coming up soon after this.